0: Hi friends, welcome to Holly's Highlights, a podcast designed to encourage, inspire, and equip you to intentionally live your life full of purpose. I'm your host, Holly Kirby, motivational speaker, leadership cultivator, marketing strategist, and personal cheerleader. Let's check out today's highlights. There are four main types of interpersonal relationships, family relationships, friendships, acquaintanceships, and romantic relationships. Now, for the sake of the upcoming holiday, we're going to focus on romantic relationships. According to WalletHub, Valentine's Day is the second priciest holiday on the calendar for the U.S. consumers, shelling out more than $27.4 billion last year. That's crazy. Now, Valentine's actually started in a pretty dark way back in ancient Rome as a pagan fertility festival where animals were sacrificed and, and women were just treated horribly. But in the 1300s, the Roman Pope uh, Galatius officially declared February 14th as Saint Valentine's Day, as it was said that birds started their mating season on this day, and therefore the day was changed to be associated with love. It was then in the 15th century that a French medieval duke named Charles sent a love note of sorts to his wife while he was in prison, and within that note he was referring to being sick of love, my very gentle valentine. But that Valentine word and act wouldn't fully catch on until about the 1840s when Valentine's Day cards were mass produced in the U.S. And although this is a day of love, according to Good Housekeeping, it's actually teachers who receive the most Valentine's Day cards annually. So good on you, teachers. Followed by that would be children, mothers, and then wives. Valentine's has since been voted as the number one best day of the year to propose, and although according to Fortune Magazine, it is celebrated differently throughout the world, such as many Latin America countries use it to show gratitude to friends, and in Japan, it's more customary for women to give chocolates to the men in their lives. But they all have one thing in common that they are trying to signify, love. So today we are honored to have a special guest Jeremy with Focus on the Family to talk more about this thing called love. Jeremy Keaton is the director of Focus on the Family's Counseling Services Department and a licensed marriage and family therapist. He leads Focus's team of mental health clinicians and pastoral specialists as they serve as safe and trusted guides on a wide range of family-related issues. Focus's Counseling Services Department specializes in aiding callers to the ministry with their marriage, family, and personal needs. Keaton leads his team in helping people from every walk of life who are seeking to have that competent professional input and Christ-centered care for their challenges. Through a one-time consultation, Focus's caring and experienced staff helps callers identify important next steps for their circumstances and directs them to key resources and local counselors through the Focus on the Family Christian Counselors Network, which is found on on focusonthefamily.com backslash counseling. Keaton majored in human communication and Christian ministry and completed his graduate studies in marriage and family therapy with an emphasis in biblical worldview and family issues at Abilene Christian University in West Texas. Keaton was top of his class in both undergraduate and graduate studies, but beyond his academic accomplishments, he's been grateful to live out what he's learned in his own life as a husband and a father. His professional experience include more than 15 years of service through various departments and programs that focus on the family, as well as his private therapy practice. Keaton has extensive experience in counseling men and couples on topics of healthy sexuality, infidelity, and pornography addiction. In addition to offering individual and marriage therapy, he has authored materials and conducted recovery groups on these topics as well. Keaton lives in Colorado Springs with his wife and three children. Welcome, Jeremy. We're so glad that you're here with us today.
1: Ollie, thank you for welcoming me, and gosh, to hear you read all of that, I just... Don't feel that I'm all that fancy. That makes it sound really special, doesn't it? <laughs> I love, I love being at focus on the family and ministering, and the opportunities I've had to learn and grow as a professional there. And it's great when we get to connect with uh, folks out there like you that are doing other encouragement. Encourage the encouragers, right? And uh, come on and talk about topics that people both enjoy and want to hear and need to hear for their lives to be enhanced and to grow and to hopefully thrive in their relationships, you know, relationships are a messy business, but we're made for relationships. So I'm glad we can talk about some of that today.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that, that we are made for relationships. So with that, this relationship of love, there are stages of love. What, What do those stages look like? And can you walk us through that?
1: Well, I'm not going to give you anything highly scientific, really more what I think in working with people is common sense. If you I love doing premarital therapy. I love looking at relationships early on when things are forming and they're new and there's such energy and dream and vision and possibility. In that stage of a relationship is often referred to as infatuation. You've heard that phrase. God made our our brains in amazing ways where the neurochemicals, the the things in our brain are firing and going off and there's this, this attraction both emotionally and physically and socially and hopefully spiritually and your brain is getting a type of high that is there to bond or to start a potential bonding process, but it is not love in the sense of what love is in the long term and what it becomes it's sort of the rocket fuel to get you going into a place of hopefully uh, growing beyond infatuation and putting your roots down into something that is really grounded and really matters and really can go the long term so i don't want to take away from infatuation but i also want to say it's the first stage in like rocket fuel It can burn out and then you don't have much left if it hasn't been grounded into uh, really another stage, which would be the growing or the burgeoning love, which is to look at values, to look at important things about compatibility, worldview, how two people actually can make each other better human beings in, in their ultimate purpose. And that would be a kind of a growing or a burgeoning love stage, sort of the honeymoon stage and beyond. And then, you know, as you know, couples that have been together for a while, you get into this steady love, this investment love phase. And then I had the privilege of knowing my grandparents, both sets of them very well, and even my great-grandparents I knew well. And there is something that I was privileged to see when you see a couple that has gone the distance and they're in this committed, steady, rich love that is committed and maintained. So infatuation, the growing and burgeoning stage, the steady state, the investment state, the the work state, and then that long-term committed and maintained love. This is the spectrum that I'm, I'm thinking of this morning as we talk
0: right i love that i love that and and you're right it's it's becoming so rare in in our society now today i know my parents celebrated their 50th anniversary and i just had to take that in because it, you don't hear a lot of 50th anniversaries being celebrated so I, i'm grateful for those examples that we have in our life so With that said, it it does seem that there are those healthy and unhealthy relationships that we tend to view more and more. What does a healthy relationship look like? And what tips would you have for our listeners and how to have a a healthy relationship?
1: Well, obviously, every stage of love and romantic love that I just mentioned there, it's going to look a little different at each stage of of life if you're uh, coupled and, and growing But here's a foundational principle that I like to talk about with my premarital couples. It's a big word, differentiation or individuation, okay? Differentiation. What this means in a relationship is that I know who I am and you know who you are and we have the appropriate kind of boundaries between us. You are not enmeshed another big word you're not lost inside of one another but you also are not cut off and so separate that you're not you're not growing in oneness so what differentiation is holly a differentiated relationship is one where i am separate but connected i want for believers in christ for people who believe in the trinity father son and holy spirit i want you to think about how these are three distinct of one whole they're mysteriously one aren't they there's nothing that the father the son or the holy spirit does or moves in that's not compatible with one another or sharing the same mission or goal and yet they're still referred to as separate in their their operations in marriage marriage male and female marriage is is highlighted throughout the scripture as an image of God, something that is to teach us something spiritual uh, about God. And I think a a, um, committed relationship in marriage is supposed to image God in that same way, where you're separate yet connected. Jesus was never confused that he was the father, and the father was never confused that he was the son, and vice versa all around the Trinity, And, and yet they served one another. Think of this. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, he authentically said to the Father his feelings. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. He was authentic. He had authentic self-representation. He had an, an opinion, a thought, and yet he also was so intimately bought into or with the Father that he said, yet, Father, not my will but yours be done. The father and the son were always serving one another and proceeding from them was the Holy spirit of love. Now that's a real theological picture, but I, I am telling you that marriage is a very, very sacred institution. And it is meant to teach us something And being differentiated in marriage separate yet connected is the hallmark of the foundation of a healthy relationship, knowing about boundaries between one another expressing yourselves authentically to one another serving one another and still speaking up for your own your own self having a sense of self while serving the other person who has a sense of self so holly that's a mouthful but it is it to me is a both a theological picture that plays out in some practical ways even as we do premarital counseling and marriage counseling from a christian perspective
0: Absolutely. No, I like that. I like that. So of of course the the opposite of that of course would lead into to some of those unhealthy relationships. What what are warning signs of perhaps those toxic relationships and how might we avoid those?
1: There are several different types of and styles that the toxicity or the unhealth can come in. And it's when you lose that balance and differentiation, you lose you you have to con- perhaps Someone is controlling another person, that they, they must get compliance out of this individual. And I'm not, it, it would sound like this, I'm not okay if you're not okay. I have to make you okay for, for me to be okay. I am, I am responsible for, I am grabbing what is not mine to control about you rather than relating to you, rather than uh, walking with you in this space or growth of life. So that would be a type of control. Sometimes that happens with enmeshment and become toxic and and certainly can at times uh, in some tragically, we know domestic violence in, in these types of very physically unsafe situations, they grow out of an emotional environment of power and control rather than mutuality. So that's one of, the, that's one of the, the big ones and one of the obvious ones, especially if it comes to the point of complete emotional abuse or physical abuse, Holly. There are other types of unhealthy ways of propping one another up where you're getting your sense of identity wholly from the other person. Mm-hmm. Now, Holly, I, I've grown, I've been married 23 years, and I've grown to know more about myself. I've gained in my identity because of my wife. But I'll tell you why I have it's because she has stood on her own two feet in my presence and talked authentically over the years. We've learned this. We haven't done it perfectly. No one does. But we've learned over our 23 years how to stand on our own two feet in each other's presence and allow iron to sharpen iron, as the scripture says, how to have opinions and healthy conflict and to listen. And I've grown in my sense of identity because of my wife, because I've grown as a human being, but I haven't borrowed my identity or gotten who I am from her. We've both grown into who God made us to be alongside one another. And that's what you're looking for and hoping to do, rather than simply sort of the Valentine soulmate concept that you make me. I'm incomplete without you. (laughs) This makes me want to gag as a therapist, I will tell you. (laughs) If you have and this this we've all done it we've all seen it in the traditions of the wedding but there is a tradition in the wedding I really I really think is you know sweet and well meaning it's the unity candle. I really like the idea and some weddings will take a, a candle representing each person and light a candle in the middle and that's very good. What you never want to do in that symbol is blow out other the two candles you just used to light that middle candle keep them burning because if you try to snuff out yourself that's not the way the trinity works that's not the way marital relational dynamic comes to be healthy you don't lose one another you stay and you have a third unity there's there's a me and there's a we and there's an us in the marriage and so that model, I believe, is something really, really important to think about and work on and try to live in. And uh, I will say that working at Focus on the Family, we do marriage therapy, marriage intensives called Hope Restored Marriage Intensives, where we teach this very thing about safety, openness, intimacy, having a sense of self and self-care in the marriage that is the model to, to build off of.
0: Yeah. That's that's a very interesting and unique perspective. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Now let's talk... Dating for a moment, of course, with Valentine's coming up and and everyone having that on their mind. Now, according to a a 2019 Stanford study, couples are now more likely to form a relationship through online dating than any other avenue. And in fact, in a recent issue of Forbes, they claim that coronavirus is changing online dating permanently. Now, when it comes to dating, what tips or advice would you have for our listeners?
1: I know that online dating is, is the reality, and there has also been you know, people that I know that have, have wonderful stories from this type of meeting and courtship through through that medium. Here's what I, I think. We, we are made for relationship. We are made for community. And, and if you're seeking purposeful, not sort of recreational consumer-based dating, and you're using an online platform, you are really trying to meet someone and then use that as a, a launching pad to get into real organic face-to-face community somehow. I, I think virtual reality and virtual communication, when it's used to enhance reality rather than undermine reality, I think it can really lead to good things. When virtual reality or digital reality becomes our total reality, hmm I don't think that as humans, we can replace human contact and human community and not pay some kind of human deficit price for it. Right. So I would say balancing how you use technology in virtual meetings to springboard you into real face-to-face community. So in dating, I believe that dating is appropriately, oddly, If you're moving towards marriage, a community affair, that surrounding yourself with people who know and trust you, know your character, know your visions and dreams in your community should eventually overlap with his or her community because the community can be a part of even getting to know each other in different ways. I know that I got to know my wife better when I was around her at a certain stage of dating with her family or with her church community. I saw things about her that she would not have been able to express directly to me, but I got that through observation and things I would learn about her from those who had touched her life and and who she had influenced and to see that aspect of her through her community and vice versa for me. And not only that, Holly, but there is something important about this journey, this lifelong commitment. You really need to vet that relationship for a reasonable period of time, I'm not for long, 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 lengthy, decades-long dating and engagement, but a purposeful period of time if you're moving purposefully towards marriage to where that community can help you see things that because of the infatuation that I was talking about earlier, where the brain becomes flooded and you lose some judgment, just like if you took too much, you know, too much of a certain drug, right, you're, your brain's gonna be clouded and high. You literally have a love high during the infatuation phase of love growth. And you need somebody else outside of you to say, let's think about this, look at that. You need another set of eyes in your community on the forming relationship if you're being purposeful and not merely recreational with your dating. Which brings me, I guess, to the last point. You know, I am pro-marriage, I work at a family ministry I have a Christian worldview. I believe that uh, unless we're specifically called to singleness, that we're uh, by default seeking a mate in most cases, unless there's, you know, very specific circumstances in some people's lives that would be otherwise, but unless you're, you're either called to singleness or you're called to the vocation of marriage. And so pursuing that intentionally versus some recreational viewpoint which valentines can often be about from a secular perspective where you're kind of the consumer of the other person they're there to merely quote make you happy or give you chill bumps up and down your arm they're there for the high of the experience and then you kind of move on when that wears off that's recreational dating that's consumer-based dating that's objectifying a person, actually, for as long as you make me happy, and then I discard and go to the next. I am saying that intentional dating, purposeful dating, is to say there's directionality here. There is certainly all the fun of dating. There's the learning of dating, and and not every dating relationship will terminate in marriage and then don't need to, but I'm being purposeful how I go about this. That is uh, respectful. It's not consumer-based, you're not consuming and discarding. You're getting to know and checking for compatibility and seeing if you should wisely go to the next stage toward possible marriage. That's the framework I like to encourage. And we have a ministry at Focus called Boundless. Go to boundless.org, B-O-U-N-D-L-E-S-S, boundless.org. That's all about healthy singleness and the healthy dating journey. It's a podcast of its own along with content For family formation. So I would refer your listeners to boundless.org where we unpack this concept extensively every week on our own podcast hosted by Lisa Anderson.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Now, what are some of those challenges in that dating life? If it's later on, if if it's maybe their older age or a different season, maybe they have kids or it's a widow or widower, what what are some tips you can give that? You know, that can be a, a rich experience for those entering
1: a new stage of life. But also, obviously, it's going to have unique challenges in that you have history and you're blending history, whatever that is. You mentioned being widowed or perhaps single, not by your own choice of some kind, perhaps a divorce or there's some loss, there's some change in life or you've just been single for many years and for whatever reason are, are later in life getting into toward marriage. You have more history. You've lived alone longer. You've gone through different formative stages of your young adulthood where you form career and identity and priorities. So what? I, why am I saying that is that when you're dating later in life You're just going to have more, you're going to know yourself better, but you may also have some things that are not as flexible. That's not altogether bad. You're just going to need to know what those are and communicate about them respectfully up front. And also, you're sometimes going through a transition of kind of redefining your life. What are you going to hold on to? What is unchanging that's been with you for years or decades that, that needs to stay And you're also determining, hmm, where is change okay? Whether it's change in my career or change in where I live or change in how I relate to former friends that have maybe been healthy or become unhealthy, you're in a flex and a change. And so you also have to discern that while you're dating. So I think those are some of the challenges. And then from a moral perspective, there are different things for believers in Christ that are really aiming to steward themselves sexually in a way that is in line with scripture. And that presents different challenges when you've perhaps been married before or have previous relationships. So I think being upfront about that, not sweeping those issues under the rug and being intentional about your decisions on your emotional and sexual stewardship is really, really important with later in life dating because there can be some rationalizations that go on with that, especially because things are so common today to live together or cohabitate. make rationalizations for that because of the perceived financial benefits of cohabitation and some things that actually set the relationship up for for some challenges that come as a result of those things. You want to be careful and really get some good mentors and input pastoral care in those areas and not compromise your values in the scenarios that are later life dating.
0: Is there a timeline for when you introduce to to those around you? Whether it be you're older in life and starting to date, when do you kind of introduce who you're dating to your friends? Or if you have uh children, when do you introduce them to your kids or even the widow or widower, when do you introduce them to perhaps family? What does that look like? Wow.
1: Well, each one of those scenarios you mentioned, you know, if you still have children in the home versus maybe you're more at a stage where you have grandkids or adult kids Boy, the answer is going to be really different for each scenario. The point is to assess it intentionally and talk with somebody who, who's safe that can help you assess that. What is your social circumstance? What's your family circumstance? And where are you at the stage of, of dating that you should share this or not? One thing you could consider wherever you are is to begin to reveal the concept of dating or the concept that you're open to something in the future in your life, reveal the concept to your loved ones at an age appropriate level. Of course, you know, you probably don't want to burden small children and who are not going to perceive that. Well, they're more concrete than theoretical, but for older relationships, for adults, you can, you can say, you know, I'm open to these ideas and you might share that before you even have a date to so that the concept is generally out there in the air so to speak and then at some point i would say depending on the safety level of the relationship how close you want that person to be involved in knowing every detail of the the date or dates or the first few dates that would determine whether you say you know i have a date tonight or whether you wait until you're six, eight weeks down the line, and you realize, I, I'm probably going to be seeing this person a bit more, and it's time to share that with so-and-so, my son or my daughter-in-law or you know, my friend at church that'll, that will probably bump into us in our small community or before I bring this person with me to church if, if he or she doesn't attend church with you. So it's kind of that need-to-know basis, and there's a spectrum decision-making like that. I hope that description helps a little yes. bit to say there's not a, there's not one cut and dry answer.
0: Yeah. Now, as for parents, what dating guidelines should they set for their teenagers when their teenagers are ready to date or, or when they're wanting to date?
1: You know, I I am just at this stage, you know, with my kids, and, and I don't have the one pat answer to this I will tell you, every family is going to have some different belief systems about dating, whether they even use the term dating. Some people prefer a, a more of a model that you'll read about called courtship, where it's it's a little more formalized. And and I I can't outline all of how that looks. I know there's a lot of literature and in, in books out there about that. Here's the bottom line: whether you call it dating, whether you call it courtship, you want to teach your boys and your girls. That we want to respect others, protect others, and be contributors of good in their life. Out of respecting others, protecting others, and contributing to the good of their life, as you have these friendships, you want to really encourage that, whatever they do, whether it is, and I think group outings are really a great model for social growth, for learning to relate to the opposite sex in groups. What I would tend to encourage as the initial times of quote group dating and then when they're you know one model is to say and then if there's a special friendship that grows out of that having your this may sound rather old-fashioned but i think this is this is you know having a family environment that says well our home is open for you know safe interaction and games and making your home a, a place where kids and groups of kids like together, if we're talking about teens here, and then as we're getting towards those pre-adult 17, 18, you know, years, then we're really setting that, that young man or woman up to make wise decisions. You're, you're not there to control, you're there to launch them. And then pro- just providing the uh, safe base for them to do individual dating and staying in touch with your, your teen in conversation that's not invasive but you're safe and available as they take those initial steps of one-on-one outings And every family is going to have some different rules. And I can't give you a formula for when the one-on-one starts exactly, but I think you get the idea that you're wanting to help them see that who you are spending time with. Hopefully as you extend that relationship to one-on-one, it's somebody that has the potential qualities that, that you would want to have as a long-term friend versus, again, like I said earlier, the consumer approach to dating that is kind of objectifying the human like a trophy. Right. Rather right. than somebody that you respect and you're giving into the good of their lives as you enjoy their company.
0: Right. Now, as a mom, I enjoy dating my kids. I, I like taking them out and, and just for that one-on-one time, really enjoying that together. I think this is a great time for us to connect with them and invest quality time in them and just have some great conversation about whatever's going on in their life and being a sounding board to them. Now, I know Focus on the Family encourages spouses to date each other. That the, They've actually shown there's hidden benefits of dating your spouse, such as increase in happiness or positive communication, even sexual satisfaction. So how would you Suggest, or how often would you suggest that spouses date each other, and what does that look like?
1: Oh, great topic, and I love that you you do that one on one time with your children. Um, and we we do that too, where we you know we're going to go on a mom date or a dad date. We did that when when the kids were even little, and that really extends itself into an ethic uh, into adulthood, and when when your kids are married, because. What you're saying there is I want to connect both in fun and in conversation, you know, one-on-one. I want to do something where we're making a memory. I want to do something where we're not distracted. We have eye contact. We, we just have this unfettered, uninterrupted little retreat of time, even 30 minutes uh, sometimes is all that some parents are going to get. And so you have to be creative, especially in the years when you have young children, what does a date look like? It may be somehow an in-house date because you can't get it together to get out the door, but you can somehow catch, you know, you, you you can throw a picnic blanket on your bedroom floor while the toddler is asleep and maybe he or she's going to sleep for 30 or 45 minutes, but you know what, you're pretending to have a picnic and you're making sandwiches on the floor in your bedroom and turning on your favorite music and maybe you cuddle on the picnic blanket and you had all of 30 or 45 minutes while the toddler was napping. Point is, something that says you're special, we have eye contact, we have conversation, we have safety together. There's there's a progression. Safety leads to openness and openness leads to intimacy. So dating, hopefully, is a time to not do a lot of work talk you know not talk about the checkbook or balance the the finances you can dream together you can think together but it's really not a work time it's a time to have safety and then openness and then intimacy and it doesn't have to necessarily be like you said holly a a, something that's just for husbands and wives doing that with your your kids is special and valentine's is a time to kind of celebrate that concept and that idea of of dating for married couples when safety openness and intimacy is happening yes there's just going to be natural spillover and payoff in really growing into that steady and committed love and uh, whether that is because you have the natural effect of being more open to one another sexually or really just even spiritually and praying together this dating time is something that if you you have to protect it
0: mm-hmm. you have to
1: keep it or it won't happen and i i think you know my wife and i you may ask about frequency we have this little thing called the me we us rhythm of life we both need some me time so i actually kind of we we protect time to go on dates by ourselves actually i i have to i have to my wife's an introvert she has to, to have time alone. I have to have time either alone or, or with a, a friend. And then there's we time, which is the two of us. We, we plan a date to come together. About we, we try to date every other for us every other Sunday afternoon for my wife and I. And then the us is family time. Me, we, us. Where is something happening that, that is an us rhythm in our lives? So we will put on our calendar the words me, we, And us, and those are blocked out times. For us, it's about a two week cycle. So, over a two week period, we're both getting some me time somewhere. We're getting some we time somewhere in two weeks. And we have some kind of family sit down time or family game, family going out to dinner or pizza night, and us time. And we try to make sure we don't go two weeks without me, we, and us somewhere on the calendar.
0: That's great advice. Now, as for Valentine's, I, some things that we do as us in our family is doing something special as for that day as a gift. And perhaps one year it was buying a star in the national registry and then decorating the kids rooms with stars or we do a secret cupid where we each pick someone from work and school and neighborhood and church and do a little something for them anonymously. But what are some other tips that you might give to our listeners on either traditions to create for Valentine's or the the cost limit, the budget to kind of sit around it because it can get kind of crazy (laughs) on Valentine's Day or even you just provided some great suggestions of what to do. Any others that you would provide as well? for for valentine's day
1: well the sky's the limit isn't it because creativity (laughs) uh this creativity is is kind of endless and to just get the juices flowing your listeners will springboard off of this and probably have more grandiose ideas but it kind of depends if you're wanting to involve your kiddos what stage are they at what do they love do they love to color are they in the stage of art do they like to make little homemade youtube videos so, you, you know, what are they into? And then you maybe harness that to do something for your grandparents or for aunts and uncles or for friends at church, whether that's a little video greeting or maybe they, there's a certain lip sync they like to do and you record it on somebody's answering machine or you sing to a family members some a popular song that's all the rage right now. And something silly, something lighthearted, and you're reaching out to people to say, hey, we remember you today. You're you're number one love in our hearts. And uh, every family kind of has a different personality and silliness they like to do. And I would say finding humor and silliness and in friendship, things like that to do, artistic, creative. My, uh, you know, it's not Valentine's related, but my family has this, fun little thing where my parents always call and sing happy birthday in the most crazy ways on our voicemail and and leave it. We never pick up the phone on birthdays because we want to hear how they sing happy birthday this time. (laughs) We listen to that on the voicemail and they do it in all kinds of ways and it gets goofy. So you get the idea. You can morph those ideas into Valentine's. I think I want to just say this for the elderly. I hope that young families have someone older in their lives, wiser, that maybe needs that extra attention. Maybe they have crested the horizon of life and and they have trouble staying encouraged or they've lost a spouse. I would say Valentine's is about love and, and thinking of godly love. Love is service to one another, service for the good of others. That's truly what love is. And I think just comes to my mind that service for those in the elderly community during Valentine's Day is one of the greatest ways to model something tender from the heart of Christ, and that would be uh, one area I would encourage young, young families to think about finding a way to invest in someone like that.
0: That is priceless. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Jeremy, if you could go back and encourage, inspire, or equip yourself as a child, what would you tell your young self? (laughs)
1: You've got a great signature question for your guests. (laughs) And it reminds me of what we will sometimes do when we have a really trusting counseling relationship with someone. We will invite them to put their younger self in a chair in front of them and tell them from their adult self what they needed to hear or wanted to hear when they went through something or throughout their childhood as a whole or some specific event they have memory of. So your question is not only fun, but actually, if taken seriously, can be quite therapeutic. And writing a letter to your younger self from your older self with the wisdom you have gained and then even imagining that younger part of you and speaking and inviting Jesus to come and speak what that younger part of you needs to hear. And it's tender, and it is an intimate question. I think of my greatest joys in life that has sustained me this is one place I can go with this I think of how much I have grown in my marriage and and what I would probably tell my younger self is God really does have some things in store for you that you don't see yet and they will take a lot of work and yet you're going to be able to do it you're 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 enough you're smart enough you are kind enough you will make mistakes and I will be there with you. That's uh, what I would hear God say to me and that I would tell my younger self that God is doing for me and that the things that are confusing and hard for you now are, are really, really going to be redeemed and used by Him and you'll learn to uh, contribute to other people's lives and love more because of these things. Hang in there and I uh, have a vision for you. And that's the words from the Lord I would give to me. As a younger person, and that it's going to be it's going to be okay and that your sincere uh, sincere heart is something that the Lord sees and will help you with. You'll need him, you will need the Lord. And that, that's why I would speak back myself.
0: Now Jeremy, where can our listeners connect with you?
1: Well, I lead a team, privileged to lead a team at focus on the family of about 18 licensed or pastoral counselors who do phone consultations. On every topic under the sun, from potty training to marital challenges, infidelity, pornography addiction, a problem solving with addictions in adult children—every topic, family topic under the sun. In our number for the free consultation line, it's a one-time consultation and referral service where we pray with you and think about that topic with you. The number is one eight hundred, the letter A, and the word family. One eight hundred A family. And you can read about the service at FocusOnTheFamily.com counseling. FocusOnTheFamily.com forward slash counseling, where you, you can connect with the team that I help lead. They're great, great people. We love connecting from the ministry. And, uh, of course, there is the daily Focus on the Family radio program with lots of family advice at FocusOnTheFamily.com radio.
0: Wonderful, and we'll make sure to have that information in our notes as well for the listeners. So Jeremy, this has been fabulous. I have such a respect for Focus on the Family and the work you're doing in overall helping families thrive from investing in marriages to equipping parents, raising their kids, Uh, the book resources that you have available on your site, And and even I I still use the plugged in that you have, the app that you have where we can check movie reviews before I take my kids out to, to the movie or whatnot. So all this to say, thank you. Thank you for the impact you have on our community and in our homes, and thank you so much for taking time to join us here today. It truly has been an honor to have you.
1: Hey, Ollie, that's why we're here, and we have donors and friends that just help us do what we've done for over four decades now. Can you believe it? Focus in the mid-70s was begun with a little office and a Christian psychologist named Dr. James Dobson, and a radio program began, and God used it. That's his work, and so we're glad to just be stewarding it, making new friends today, and doing, doing the ministry through our donor-supported work. Thanks for giving us the time on your program to share some about it and share some of these thoughts. And thanks for your years of, of investing and using focused material to help others.
0: Thank you for joining me on this journey of life. I hope that today's highlight has been encouraging, inspiring, and equipping so you can go out and live your life full of purpose. I'd be honored if you'd take a moment to leave a review or better yet, subscribe. We can also stay in touch by joining my email list at hollycurby.com. That's H-O-L-L-Y-C-U-R-B-Y.com. Until next time, make it a great day for a great day.